In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If your family is anything like mine, when you get together, there are always certain stories that get told over and over again, whether you want them to or whether you don't. Sometimes they're embarrassing, sometimes they're funny, but oftentimes they are very characteristic of the person in that story. So we had the story of my mother cutting the cord on the electric knife because dad wasn't quick enough for her. She was, you know, efficient. We had the story of dad pulling a cover over him, laying on the floor with a pulmonary embolism, waiting until morning because he didn't want to bother people at night. We have the story of my sister piling up huge windrows of, of straw going the wrong way and, and, and turning it inward. And there's probably a few stories about me too, but we won't get into those. But in family systems, you oftentimes have those. And today's gospel lesson is one of those in the family of the early Christian church because it shows up in all four Gospels. Now, you may not know this, but it's a, it's a very rare thing. Two, maybe, Gospels, three once in a while, but almost never four. And this one is in all four Gospels. What that means is that this was a story that was told over and over and over again in the early church because it did several things. One, it was a great miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 and it showed the compassion of the Lord, and it gave a good description of all the different characters in the story. The crowd, the disciples, Jesus himself, and the little boy who gave his loaves and his fish. It was a weird time in Palestine, however, when Jesus did this. It was the time of Passover, which is the greatest festival of the uh, Jewish year. It's celebrated when the angel of death passed over the house of the Israelites who had painted blood up on the doorposts and then killed the firstborn of the Egyptians and then uh, the Pharaoh let them go and they could eventually get to the promised land after a little exile. Anyway, it was a great feast time, festival time. Family members came in, a lot of stuff going on. And people, some of them came just to see Jesus. They'd heard about this, this rabbi, this Jesus of Nazareth. And they were all excited. They'd heard about the healings he did, the casting out demons, the wisdom in his teaching, and all of that. And they, they came to see the circus, and they had to see the elephant. You know, it was just kind of one of those deals. So they were there, and they had their demands on Jesus. And Jesus had been going at a breakneck pace, just one thing after another. And he was tired and whipped out. But the other thing that was happening at, the, at that same time was that there was a, a kind of a cloud that hung over all of Judaism because the moral compass of their country and their faith had been beheaded. John the baptizer had just been beheaded by Herod. You remember the story. He went up and told Herod in no uncertain terms, you're doing wrong by taking your brother's wife to be your wife. That's wrong, and God doesn't like it. And uh, Herod's new wife, slash former sister-in-law, apparently liked being the wife of the king, and she didn't want to hear this anymore from John. So when they had a dinner party, uh, the, her daughter got up and did a wowser of a dance, and Herod jumped up and drunkenly said, Hey, that's great. I'll give you anything. What do you want? And the mother said to her, T Tell him you want the head of John the baptizer on a platter. Well, then he was caught, and he 
had to choose between saving face and saving John's head. Well, John's head can go. He needed to save face. And that's what he did. Jesus was grieving this loss. John was not only his front man, not only his forerunner, but he was his cousin. John was the first real prophet that they'd had for 400 years in Israel. And Jesus called him the greatest of the prophets. And Jesus was devastated by this. And with all the things that he'd been doing and all the pressures that were on him, Jesus just wanted to get away and be by himself and, and grieve for a while. It's like that Southwest Airlines commercial. Need to get away? Yeah, Jesus needed to get away. He had what we in the hospital used to call compassion fatigue. And that is when you have given and given and given everything you have to give to take care of others and you got nothing left to give. Maybe some of you have a pretty good idea what that is. If you've been taking care of ailing parents or uh, maybe a spouse that's not doing well or your kids get sick, uh, you may have had compassion fatigue. I know what it feels like. I remember on Friday nights when I'd go through a whole week of working on the drug alcohol treatment center, highly emotionally stressful. I, I didn't feel like I could even move my facial muscles on a Friday night. I was just kind of, duh. It's compassion fatigue. And that's what Jesus had. He wanted to get away. So he got in a boat and went across the Sea of Galilee. But the crowd sensed where he was going and they just whipped around on the shore and got there soon after he did. And this is a snapshot of who the crowd is. The crowd, they want what they want, and they want it right now. They don't care about Jesus' compassion fatigue. They just want their needs to be met, and they want to get what they came for. So there's the crowd. And now we see the nature of Jesus in this story. What was Jesus' reaction? Was he angry? Did he tell him to get out of there? Did he say, enough is enough? No. He had compassion on them. He said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he taught them. And then when he was all done, it was the end of the day, and the disciples said, we better tell these people to get out of here. They need to get something to eat. And, you know, we don't have anything for them to eat. So uh, better, better tell them to, to go home. And Jesus said to them, no, you give them something to eat. And they said, well, we don't have anything to give them. And Andrew came up and he said, well, there is this one little boy who has five little barley buns and a couple of dried fish. We got that, but <laughs> that's not going to make a dent in this crowd. How do you cater for 5,000 with that as your resource? And, but Jesus just took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples to distribute. Sounds like communion, doesn't it? And he gave it to them and they distributed the food and sort of mystically the loaves kept multiplying. Every, they, they had everything that they needed. Everybody was full. And he said, you better gather up the leftovers. And uh, they gathered, gathered up 12 big baskets full of leftovers, which was wildly more than what they even started out with after feeding 5,000 men plus some women and children. 12, 12 baskets, 12 tribes, 12 disciples. Mm, seems symbolic. And only then... The disciples weren't getting it before that, and that's the character of the disciples. They never seemed to catch on. 
And then finally the crowd began to realize that a great miracle was being done among them. And the, the murmur rippled through the crowd and everybody was amazed at that. It's a great story. And it shows Jesus' compassion, certainly. And it shows how the Lord cares about people. One of the things that it says to me, and I think it should say to us, is when Jesus told them, you feed them, you give them something to eat. That's part of our calling. I am very glad that we have the Pete's Pantry, the food pantry here, and the end of the month meal at St. John. I'm very glad that we have the clothing warehouse and that we uh, provide uh, items for Wernley, Wernley Home at St. John and so forth. I'm very proud of that, and that's what we should be doing. It is apparent to me that when the Lord says, you do something for people, he also gives you the resources to do it. The farmers in our country can produce more food than we can eat and waste, and actually farmers have been paid not to produce food at some points in the farm program. And we also have the technology to transport things to the moon and back. So what makes us think that we can't give people who are hungry food if they're across town or across the country or even across the world? We can go to the moon with stuff. I am convinced that if we really wanted to, if we plowed up our front yard, our two-acre front yards, and put in vegetables, we could feed everybody in the world. We have the ability to do it. It's just, do we make the decision that we're going to do that? I was watching the Weather Channel, and uh, they had a thing about various hurricanes, Katrina and so forth. And the one that they highlighted was Hurricane Hugo that was in the Carolinas a few years ago. And I remember reading a story about Hurricane Hugo. There was a couple, a younger couple, named Reb and Jackie, and they were going to start a new restaurant. But they had to have the uh, health inspector come first before they could sell any food. And the health inspector couldn't come because the hurricane hit and he couldn't get there. So they eventually decided that since they couldn't sell any food, they would just give it away. And they began preparing food for the workers, people who were cutting up trees that were down and power lines were being fixed and bridges out and you know all, all of this, the, the workers doing stuff in the area. And other people heard about it and they came in and they just gave free food. And then a strange thing happened. People began mopping the floor for them and cleaning off the counter and taking out the trash. And other people began bringing their food from home. And they, and they brought enough stuff to feed everybody. They eventually fed 16,000 people. And when they were done, they had 55 loaves of bread, uh, coffee for 350 pots, you know, all kinds of boxes of vegetables and meat that people began bringing in because they heard what they were doing. They had more when they were done than when they started. The loaves were multiplied for them. The other thing that is very apparent to me in this story is to take a look at the little boy who offered his little barley loaves and his two little dried fish. The question to you and I is, have we offered what we have to the Lord? Not do we look at it and say, well, I don't think that's enough to do any good or I'm not sure that's... Have we offered our gifts, and that not just food or not just money, but have we offered our other gifts 
Or do we say, well, I, you know, I can't really do anything. That's not really that much. There are people who have gifts of teaching. There are people who have gifts of technology. There are folks who have gifts of, of, of uh, welcoming people and greeting people. There are people who have gifts uh, of preaching and all kinds of gifts. Some of them may not seem that significant to you, but the question is not, do you think they're great? The question is, have you taken whatever you have and offered it to the Lord? It's amazing what the Lord can do out of little of nothing. Have we offered our gifts? Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.